The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Any ideas? Wish the hell I had. I want to go home, Rembrandt. I don't want to spend the rest of my life in Canada. You think I do? It's wet, it's cold. Rickerson's cell spit up there. All they ever listen to is Anne Murray and Gordon Lightfoot. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, December 29th, 2022. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Yeah, remember back in the days when the scariest thing about Canada was having to listen to Anne Murray and Gord Lightfoot? (laughs) I imagine that a lot of people around the globe generally saw Canada as one of the most benign of nations. Well, that certainly isn't the Canada of today, and perhaps never was, some might say. But there is no longer any doubt. Every one of Canada's political parties and leaders currently in Parliament in the words of today's guest, are all for war and support Ukraine. So given the reality of that assessment, I can safely say that Robert recently got together with the leader of the only opposition party in Canada. That party, of course, is the People's Party of Canada, the PPC, and its leader is no stranger to this show, none other than Maxime Bernier, whose recent call to keep Canada out of the Ukraine war entirely fell upon deaf ears. So how come you haven't heard about this alternative approach to the Ukraine situation, you might not be asking yourself? (laughs) Well, you might not have asked because when you can't hear the voice, you don't know you've got a choice. Our theme for today primarily concerns Canada's reckless and unconscionable involvement in the Ukraine conflict against Russia, which of course is really an American conflict against Russia. And to touch upon that part of the equation, all of our audio bites today, with a couple of obvious exceptions, originate from the December 22nd edition of Redacted, hosted by Clayton and Natalie Morris. Their reporting of Zelensky's recent visit to Washington sounds like a rerun of Zelensky's appeal to the Canadian Parliament made earlier in the year, on March 15. You'll hear all about it right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links, archive broadcasts, and the support button that makes it easy for you to support the show. Because as always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. We're honored again to be joined by the Honorable Maxime Bernier, leader of the People's Party of Canada. Hello, Maxime. Good to see you again. Thank you, Robert. I always like to be with you and to have a discussion on different uh, political subjects. So uh, let's have that discussion together. It is a difficult one because you are, as with many topics, the underdog, and that is the um, Russo-Ukrainian conflict. And you've come out uh, just last week with a policy statement. It was so well-researched so well thought out, a lot of history in that. 
I wonder if you couldn't just give us a recap of the People's Party of Canada's policy and your statement about the Russo-Ukraine conflict. Yes, actually, when uh, that conflict started, I tweeted about it. I said, it is not the role of our country to be there. It is not our war. Our country must promote peace and put everybody around the same table, uh, at the negotiation table. And after that, people were asking me, okay, Maxime, you're the only national uh, leader who has a different position. As you know, Robert, Pierre Polyev, the Liberals, the NDP, the Bloc Québécois, the Green, they are all pro-war and they support Ukraine. And I said, yes, that's a good idea. And, you know, there's a lot of arguments to be neutral in that conflict. And I had a nice discussion with some expert and Salim Mansour also, you know, Salim was one of our candidates at our election in 2019. And he was a university professor. So I called him and we had a nice discussion about that conflict. And I received an invitation with uh, Rebel News. They did a day conference a day in Toronto this fall. And I said to Ezra that, you know, I will speak about the conflict. And I used that speech for our declaration of the People's Party of Canada position on that war. And what what I said first, you must look at the history. There's a lot of uh, ethnic Russian in Ukraine. They are speaking Russian and they had a referendum a long time ago. I believe it was in 2014, if I'm right. And they wanted to be part of Russia. And also you have Ukraine armies and forces. Uh, They have some Nazi in that that are fighting and did fight against ethnic Russians there. And when Putin did that uh, invasion, he said, I want to protect these people all over there in Ukraine. And that was what he wanted to do. And also at the same time, he said to the West and to, to us, to Canada and US and Western Europe, uh, you know, I don't want to have a NATO base in Ukraine at my doors. And actually, if you remember the history, Kennedy said the same thing in 1962 to Khrushchev when that was at that time the uh, missiles crisis in Cuba. And Kennedy said, you know, I don't want to have these uh, missiles at my doors. And they they engaged in a negotiation and we didn't have a war at that time. So it was good for the U.S., but now it's not good for uh, Russia. And since that time, since 1962, so we had a NATO expansion in Western and Eastern Europe. And now you have a lot of countries that are part of NATO. And if Ukraine and we, and when I'm saying we, the Western world, we were pushing Ukraine to be part of NATO. And they must be neutral. They must not be part of NATO. And I understand the position of of Russia on that, like the position of Kennedy. They said there's a red line that you cannot cross. And and we were pushing Ukraine to be part of NATO. And with that, if it's the case, we will have, we the West, NATO base in Ukraine with conventional or nuclear weapons. So it must not happen. And we need to look at it in a different point of view. 
And now the propaganda in Canada, it's uh, by, you know, we are supporting the democracy, we are supporting Ukraine. But as you know, Ukraine, this is a dysfunctional country. It's a corrupt country. It's not the ideal democracy. Trudeau said, and also Polyev said, we need to be there because also we have about 1.4 Ukraine descent in Canada and from Ukraine origin. For me, they are Canadians. You must not base your foreign policy on trying to gain votes and support in Canada, but they are pandering to that community the Liberals, the Conservatives, the NDP. And so that's another reason why we are there. But the worst of all, we are spending money over there, Robert, that we don't have, about $4 billion. We, we have a huge deficit and we are paying right now with the inflation tax. And Poliev and Trudeau said, it's okay, let's spend money that we don't have and increase our, our deficit supporting Ukraine. We must not be there. Our role must be to promote peacemaking, peacekeeping. And uh, if you look at the hard history with uh, Chrétien and, and Martin, Jean Chrétien decided not to go to the war in Iraq with the U.S. And that was the best decision. And Lester B. Person won the Nobel Prize for promoting peace. And that's our history. So now what... Uh, establishment politicians are doing right now, it's not in line with the, the culture and the history of our country. Absolutely correct. And I think if we go back to 1956, I think it was in the Suez crisis that Pearson, mm -hmm. who was um, not prime minister at the time, but he was instrumental in intervening with the United Nations in that conflict. You had France and England and Egypt. And we have not learned. I mean, we, we took that ball and we have thrown it into the creek because now what we have with Trudeau, Paliev, uh, Blanchette, all, all of them in Parliament is a warmongering stance into a conflict they either don't understand or worse, if they do understand it, then they are, are simply evil people for wanting to prolong a conflict that, in in my humble estimation, Ukraine cannot win. Uh, absolutely, and now it's it's a kind of a, a proxy war, uh, the U.S. using Ukraine against Russia, and it's very dangerous. And now we are escalating that conflict. You know, we know Russian owns a nuclear power. Uh, we must at least try to find a solution to that, and we are not. As you know, right now, there's a big economic crisis in Europe. The price of uh, energy, gas and oil, it's, it's at the roof because it was coming from Russia. And now they don't have that. So we are creating a mess in Europe. And now you have politicians in Europe that are saying to their population, oh, you know, you must uh, save the energy like in a third world. And it's, it's because of bad policies coming from these politicians. And we can go on with the green energy that they promoted, uh, but it's not sustainable. You know, when the sun is not shining, you don't have any energy. When the wind is not blowing, you don't have any energy. So you need oil and gas, and that's a sustainable energy. And also at the same time in Germany, they decided a couple of years ago to shut down their nuclear energy. So with these bad policies, plus the, the decision to support Ukraine against Russia, 
and now they are leaving the impact of all these bad policies. And Canada is part of that. You know, when you have some countries in Europe, like Germany, here in Canada this year, and they were asking for energy, but Trudeau also decided not to build a pipeline, and we are not able to export our energy in Europe. So that's a mess, and it's all because of these politicians. And now, with the escalation of that conflict, I don't know what will happen in 2023. I hope that the reason will prevail. So how did we get here in the first place? Just a little context. The CIA-driven effort to build an insurgency in Ukraine began as far back as 2014 and 2015, training neo-Nazi groups as a militia against the Russian people, the Russian population. And it also has, it had broad domestic implications for the United States at the time. Of course, we were able then, because of this puppet regime that we put in place, we were able to put in 46 different bioweapons labs in Ukraine. We were able to buy up large swaths of land, put in all sorts of manufacturing. George Soros funded all sorts. I mean, the list is endless how this helped the United States with our puppet regime in Ukraine. In 2014 and 2015, NATO and the United States, led by the CIA, installed a puppet government in Ukraine. They then trained neo-Nazi groups as a militia to carry out attacks in eastern Ukraine. They then spent eight years carrying out a genocide against the people of eastern Ukraine. These are not just ethnic Russians. That's a misnomer. These are also Ukrainians who wanted to live a peaceful life in their home, on their farmland, in their towns, in the Donbass. And the people in, in Crimea as well, who felt that they were Russians right. until the reestablishment of the Ukrainian government came and stamped their passports and changed their passports when they didn't really want that. No, they didn't. Uh, and so point. for feeling that way, right. that they were and wanted to continue to be Russians, they were tortured. And so you, you Zelensky, at the direction of NATO, uh, NATO leaders destroyed their way of life without a doubt destroyed their way of life. And if you want to spend five minutes researching it, you can. You'll have to dig for it on Google because it's suppressed. But it's there. You can read all about the genocide if you want to. Uh, you, sir, Mr. Zelensky, are were, you know, responsible for destroying the, the, the people's lives in this eastern part of Ukraine. You, sir, are a war criminal standing inside of the United States Congress. Yes, but our last few presidents have all been war criminals, right, so too. Good, so that's the spot where that's they the stand. Spot. They're in good company, right? We have Obama as a war criminal. Bush. Bush is a war criminal. We have these guys, you have Zelensky as a war criminal, standing in the halls of the United States Congress, asking American people for more money yeah. to carry out a war against innocent people. Like Actually, Trump did not rage new wars, so... No, he's the only one to not start a yeah. new war. And yesterday we heard from Moscow. Uh, we heard from Russia. Once again, that Russia is ready for peace talks. I think they've said this now every day for the past three weeks. We are open for peace talks. Oh, We're ready way to sit more down. than that. For months. We've, had, we've reported on it at least once a month. Yeah, this was part of their the press conference became. yesterday. As a matter of fact, um, early on in the conflict, I understand that Ukraine did sit down with Russia to go over some of the terms that they were presenting. And if people want to know about what those terms were, they can go onto the Kremlin's 
a website, the English version, and it's all laid out there. The whole thing about um, what their intentions are for this special military operation. And they have no, according to, to Putin, no designs on Ukraine at all. They have, they went in there under the United Nations Charter, Chapter mm-hmm. 7, Section 51, which allows people to defend regions that wish to be sovereign. And Luhansk and Donetsk, like you said, had a referendum. And even more recently, just in February of this year, they had a referendum to be autonomous under the Minsk agreements, which were violated by Ukraine twice. Those agreements said that Luhansk and Donetsk should have autonomy. They didn't even, at this point, they didn't even want to join Russia. It was just Mm. they wanted to be autonomous. That's when Ukraine started to to bomb them. And Putin looked at that and said, this is unacceptable. Nobody else is coming to these people's aid. So he saw the troops massing in southern Ukraine. He saw the bombardment of those two uh, oblasts. And so he went in and he told them, this is what I want. Just recognize Crimea as, as Russian, which is de facto anyway. Um, recognize the autonomy of Luhansk and Donetsk, which they democratically voted for. And we can get into whether or not elections these days are even free. But that's a, <laughs> that's, that's a debate for another day. And, yeah. and, and be neutral. Maintain your neutrality. Very simple and reasonable requests that apparently Germany and the United States then went into um Zelensky and said, no, stop the negotiations. You can't negotiate with Putin because they wanted to prolong, as you say, the proxy war with Russia. The neocons in the United States and Canada want to continue on in a war footing forever. Now, this is your strong point. Your your suit is finance. What do you think is going to be the fallout from this prolongation promoted by the West, this prolonging of this conflict. Yeah, I must add to what you just said, that also it's very uh, disturbing that in Canada, in the corporate media, you don't have that point of view. They call that misinformation or disinformation, and you don't have real debate. We are the only national political party that is having a very different position in line with our history. And I'm looking at the NDP, and that's not the same NDP that when Ed Broadbent was the leader of the NDP. So NDP, pro-war, Bloc Québécois, pro-war, the Conservative, the Liberals, the Green, because also for them, they are promoting a policy that is not in line with our history, like I said, but also is hurting us. And if we go on the, the economy, we have that inflation right now. We have the deficit and we are adding to the deficit that $4 billion and we are paying for it. Our inflation rate is about 6.9%. And when you know that in Canada, Statistic Canada said a couple of months ago that the average increase for a Canadian for his salary increase this year will be about 4%. So if you have a 6.9% inflation, Everybody will be poor. Our standard of living is going down. Our purchasing power is going down. So it's not in our interest to be part of that war. And we don't have the resources 
to help Ukraine. I remember I was foreign affair for our country in 2007, 2008. And at that time, Canada was in war in Afghanistan. And I was uh, asking my counterparts, other foreign affairs ministers, to help us in uh, Kandahar, uh, in Afghanistan, because we didn't have the right equipment, and we still don't. And like you said, we are not spending or investing the 2% of our GDP to be in line with uh, what we must do to be part of NATO. We are not there, and our Canadian forces didn't have the right equipment. And now we are sending equipment and money to Ukraine. That is not a real democracy. I don't know where that money is going, but I can tell you that some people will be very rich after this conflict. So let's stop all that. It's hurting everybody, Europe, Canadians, and it's hurting our economy. Let's go back to you know, our history, our common sense. When I said that the position of the PPC in that conflict, saying that it's not our war, we must not be there. Some corporate media said, oh, Bernier is pro-Russian. So it's very difficult to have the discussion and you don't have that discussion actually in the corporate media. So that's why when you ask me to have the discussion with you, it's a nice opportunity for me. And I appreciate what you're doing also to try to bring the other point of view to Canadians. I'm very grateful that you're able to give us your time. It was so disappointing. I go online looking for the response to your policy position that you put out last week. Unique in the Western world. Absolutely unique. Crafted so responsibly and reasonably. Giving a point of view that is refreshing and positive and logical. And nothing. No response. And I mean zero. You please tell me, did any of the Liberal Party funded press in Canada or any other press? Call no, you? no, absolutely not. They don't want to have the debate. That's why we are canceled. And we had 5% of the vote, more than the Green Party of Canada. This party is growing only after four years. It took 35 years for the Green Party of Canada to have more than 1.6% of the vote. We did that in our first election. So this party is growing. But the corporate media know that if they give us more visibility, we will grow faster. And these leftist journalists don't want that. And they don't want to have another point of view. And also the Conservative Party of Canada, they don't want us to be out there and to promote a position that is in line with the history of our country. So that's why I believe it's too sad and it's bad, but I'm doing that fight. And I try to be everywhere on social media and I'm traveling across the country. What we don't understand with that conflict is we are pushing Russia in the arms of China and with uh, BRICS, as you know, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, they are together and they try to be the counterpart of the US dollars. And we may have a new international currency that will be maybe backed on gold or on commodities. We don't know. But we must not forget that these countries represent 80% of the world population. So they will have an impact. 
And when the U.S. decided to freeze all the uh, Russian account in the Western world, Russia took note of that. And they said, you know, enough is enough. We need to develop an alternative. And that's why they're doing with BRICS. So that conflict will have a big geopolitical impact in the near future. When I'm saying near future, it can be five years, 10 years. But yes, it will have a big impact for the dominance of the U.S. dollars as the international currency. I'm glad you brought up BRICS and the 80% of the population of the world represented. It, it shows that the narrative that we're seeing in Canadian press, at least, or Western press, is totally out to lunch as to the unanimity which they have towards Ukraine is not felt in the rest of the world. As a matter of fact, there's even three NATO countries that do not agree with the U.S. proxy war in Ukraine, and that is uh, Hungary, Serbia, and more importantly, Turkey. Because these nations know where they get their oil from and natural gas and energy. These people have a vested interest in maintaining good relationships with Russia. They don't want to see the United States or Canada or any other country coming in there and saying, oh, we have to support Ukraine, devoid of all of the history that is involved, which you have quite skillfully brought to the fore. We are watching the greatest example of propaganda I think in world history, you know, I, I, I'm a student of history and going back, I'm thinking, can I think of a better example, a, a, a bolder example, a more brash example of propaganda in any historical event? And I can't think of it. And I think overwhelmingly there will be a media analysis done of this war at some point by somebody. And we will know that this by far eclipses every other war, every other uh, you know man event that includes propaganda in world history. And the greatest actor on that stage is Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Uh, Zelensky made good on his promise to demand more United States aid during his trip to Washington yesterday. We picked him up in an Air Force private jet from from Europe in style, fully catered. We took care of it, you know, right out of our right out of our um out of out of our budget. Um upon arrival, we sent a limousine to the airport to take this amazing actor to meet with the president of the United States. Um, and then he did not disappoint. Uh, upon his arrival, he received a standing ovation like he was going to the Academy Awards for his amazing acting skills that helped destabilize Europe, destroy Europe's uh, energy system, drive the American dollar and economy off a cliff. Here was that moment and that standing ovation. It's just, it, you know, it's almost like watching a State of the Union address. Like we're waiting for the president to come down the aisle for the State of the Union. Let's everyone clap. Oh, everyone wants to touch him, too. Yes. Everyone wants to touch him. And who's that? It really is an amazing moment. I mean, and he did not disappoint because then he turned an amazing performance where he admitted that Ukraine has beat Russia. Listen. And it gives me good reason to share with you our first, first joint victory. We defeated Russia in the battle for minds of the world. Now, I think that that line it really struck me because I'm like, you're admitting that it's a war of propaganda. I feel 
like in this day and age, we should be proud when we see through propaganda. To, so to say we've been able to market this war better than Russia is essentially what he just said. And I was like, I can't believe he said it, but at least thanks for being honest. Yeah, we, we won the mines. We, we beat Russia in the mind game. Like we didn't actually beat Russia. We're being destroyed by Russia, but we beat Russia in the mind game. This is the part that, I mean, it totally pissed me off. Like it really pissed me off. I about threw my Paul Pelosi hammer at my computer this afternoon when I saw that, because what he just said is a bald faced lie. Anyone with more than three brain cells knows that a new study recently found that most of the world believes it's Ukraine and NATO's fault for this war. Most of the world. Um, perhaps in the United States, you have a lot of ignorant people that watch CNN who believe that Russia is to blame for what happened. Uh, again, the propaganda war. So it's working. It's worked in parts of Europe. But most of the rest of the world absolutely knows what actually unfolded here. I wonder if we couldn't bring it back to Canada. You've mentioned some things already about some of the Canadian politicians, but I went back in anticipation of uh, talking to you today, and I looked at the presentation that Zelensky made to the Parliament of Canada back March 15th. It was a love fest for Ukraine. It was disgusting to watch, especially knowing what we know now. But these parliamentarians, they should have known. I'm yeah. just, who am I, right? But now I know so much about Ukraine. I'm disgusted to watch that presentation. In the presentation, they championed him as a, well, as a champion of democracy. <laughs> he's outlawed his opposition parties. He's nationalized the media. Yeah. And he's now planning to ban the Orthodox Church in Ukraine yeah. because they're speaking softly about Russia. So yeah. he is no champion of democracy. He is a despot, that Zelensky, that is. And, and the um, first, don't forget, don't forget, Robert, the first thing that he did to the opposition party in parliament, he banned them. And that was in the beginning. We were saying at that time, oh, we support Ukraine because it's a real democracy. It is not. You're absolutely right. And the Maidan revolution of 2014 was supported and funded by Europe and the United States. They overthrew a democratically elected president. This is democracy. This is democracy that they're supporting. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's ludicrous. And now that we have researched and found out what is actually going on, despite the mainstream liberal funded press, the propaganda arm of the Liberal Party, it disgusts me to go back to that video. But I'll, I'll read you a few of the comments made by our leaders. OK, just to see that they're in lockstep, in lockstep with Trudeau and the World Economic Forum, the whole globalist thing, you know. <laughs> Trudeau, of course, stood up and said, these are his words to Zelensky, he's a champion of democracy, uh. <laughs> a defender of values that form the pillars of all free democratic countries, freedom, human rights, justice, truth, international <laughs> order. And given... So, we, yes, so, you know, there's a new definition now for democracy and freedom. And the new definition is the opposite of that. When Trudeau is saying that, it's the same thing. Trudeau thinks that he's a Democrat, but what he did at the Freedom Convoy, and that was not democratic, imposing, you know, vaccine passport on Canadian travelers and all that. And he's saying that, <laughs> that uh, they are in Ukraine, there's a real democracy. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. And you can see why Trudeau would love uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. They are both despotic. 
anti-freedom, anti-democratic rulers. And they're both actors. They're both actors, you know. <laughs> One is a drama teacher, the other is a comedian or a clown, yeah, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Trudeau went on to say that um, we in Canada support the underdogs, you know, <laughs> and the underdog will prevail. And, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said that the underdogs will prevail regardless of the costs. And in this point, we're talking about the cost of lives. And this is Trudeau not caring a tinker's cost about the lives that have to be lost just so that the underdog could win. Yeah. By the way, his speech, Trudeau's, received a one-minute standing ovation unanimous throughout Parliament. Unanimous. Not one person kept their bum in their seat. I'm not surprised, Robert, because I always said, you know, the opposition that we have in Ottawa, the Conservative Party of Canada with Pierre Polyev, they are not an opposition party. And there I call them the LibCon party, Liberal and Conservative Party. So that's another example. I'm right about saying that. On the big issues for our country, this war, climate change, uh, uh, deficit, uh, all that, they, are in this, they, are, they, they share the same views. So that's why I'm not surprised. Our friend Salim Ansur called him the spare wheel. If for, <laughs> if for some reason the liberals lose power, they put on the spare wheel of the conservatives just to, to keep on going in the same direction. And then the next election, they'll put on the real wheel. <laughs> Candace Bergen was the interim leader at the time, and she stood up after Zelensky's speech and said that she admires his courage and sacrificial leadership. Quote, we remain indebted to you. Thank you for your defense of democracy. The <laughs> no, get this. The official opposition stands with Ukraine. It is our duty. Uh, our duty is to protect Canadians, protect our way of life, fighting for our country. And that war, it's not our war. And that's it. We must be honest about that. So when she said, you know, it's our duty, it is not our duty. Our duty is to work for Canadians and to protect our Canadian interests first, and that's it. And just to, to be clear that but if people are thinking that Candace Bergen, well, she's no longer there as the uh, interim leader, it is Pierre Polyev. Well, Pierre Polyev tweeted out on April 16th of this year. I love this. I always make fun of this particular phrase. Um, <laughs> the liberal response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine was too little, too late. This is the pet conservative <laughs> party phrase that, that plagues every conservative party in Canadian history. That should be their slogan. The Conservative yeah. Party of Canada, too little, too late. <laughs> what do you have to say to that, Maxine? You, you're right about that. Uh, you know, warmongering and uh, neocon. It's a, it's a disaster that we don't have a real opposition in Ottawa. And now Polyev is saying that it's because of Trudeau that we have inflation. He called that just inflation. But the same Polyev and the Conservative Party of Canada supported all these uh, programs that Trudeau put in place in the beginning of COVID-19 uh, because they were in agreement at shutting down the economy. That's because of them also that we have these huge deficits. And at the same time, the same Polyev said that he will freeze the budget. He's supposed to be a conservative. You're supposed to cut expenses and balance the budget. But no, the government, the Trudeau government, increased our budget since COVID-19 by $90 billion. So the budget of today is $90 billion more than the last budget 
before COVID. And Polyev is okay with that. He just wants to freeze that. Where he won't be able to tax Canadians for that. He will do the same thing like Trudeau did. He will ask the Bank of Canada to print money out of thin air and it will create inflation. And that's why we may have inflation between 4% and 6% or 8% for the next five years. So they're all the same. And we, that's, why, that's why we are there. That's why we are the only principled political party. And I like to say we are a smart populist party with common sense policies. That's the definition of our party. Why I'm using the word smart? Because I don't want to appeal to your emotions like the liberals or like the conservative. I want to appeal to your intelligence and you need to read our platform. You need to know that. And we are doing politics differently because we have the same platform. We created that party on four ideas, individual freedom, personal responsibility, respect and fairness. And all our policies are in line with these principles and we won't change. What I said in 2019, I said this in 2021, and that will be the same platform in 2025 if we have an election there or before. So that's another way to do politics. But Polyev and the liberals with the corporate media and the propaganda machine, they know that the big majority of Canadians are for that war in Ukraine. So they are doing politics by survey and polling. And they don't want to inform the population like you're doing. They don't want to educate in brackets the population on different issues. They're looking at the polls and they're telling you what you want to hear. And so the Conservative Party of Canada is morally and intellectually corrupt. They have the name conservative and they don't promote conservative values. Just to drive the the matter home with Polyev, he went on in that same tweet and said that as prime minister, I will always stand with Ukraine to defend their democracy, freedoms, and right to self-determination against Vladimir Putin and his barbaric war machine. Right to self-determination. What happened to Luhansk and Donetsk's right to self-determination, which they voted for and which Zelensky violated? Yeah. So there's Polyev for you. I mean, it shows either, like I said, an ignorance, which is unexcusable for a parliamentarian, or a willful deceit of the Canadian people, just to mention something like that. Your money is not charity. It's an investment in the global security and democracy that we handle in the most responsible way. Oh. Okay. So that then... That's your peace talks. It's about security. Oh, no, he brings up peace in a very different way. What he's saying here is that this is an investment in democracy, meaning you are preventing one type of world order Hmm. from taking hold. And uh, and Ukraine is, of course, the epitome of democracy. Here's a war criminal standing inside of the United States halls of Congress uh, and demanding more money. This speech was aimed purely directly at ignorant people the fools that would applaud this kind of bullshit that's what this speech was for so okay will we hear about peace at all in this speech oh yes peace talks let's listen and find out if we do let's listen here is uh Zelensky talking about well take a listen uh similar to the other tyranny which is in the battle of the bulge 
through everything it had against the free world, just like the brave American soldiers which held their lines and fought back Hitler's forces during the Christmas of 1944. Brave Ukrainian soldiers are doing the same to Putin's forces this Christmas. And so you're going to bring up a battle of, Ukraine, of the bulge. Ukraine holds its lines and will never surrender. So that, here you go. Up until this point, they haven't been out of their seats, but never surrender? Yes. You have to. This means we want your people to go to the death against Russia. That's, that's what they're applauding for. Never surrender. No, that's the opposite of peace. So no peace talks then. So imagine that when you want more Ukrainians, that's what you want. You want more Ukrainians to die needlessly. That's what's going to happen. So here's how mainstream media told us, though. After, I mean, it was amazing to read the headlines today from from uh, the media. Oh, my God. It was like uh, some of the headlines were things like Zelensky goes to Washington and warms the hearts of Washington. Or recalls us to ourselves as humans is how The Atlantic put it. <laughs> like we we were out in the cold depths of soul and the dark night of soul and his speech brought recalled us to ourselves uh here's lawrence o'donnell saying that this is something that like you know man on the moon landing you will remember where you were when it happened well this was one of those nights when history was made right there in your living room on television this was the night you dragged the kids in front of the tv so they'd be able to say for the rest of their lives that they saw Volodymyr Zelensky's address to a joint session of Congress and to the people of the United States of America and to the world. Like you drag your kids. Yeah. And look at that lower third graphic on the screen. Zelensky addresses Congress nearly 81 years after Winston Churchill's joint address. Like they're really going out of the way. I mean, what they could have said, you know, 75 years after Aunt Mildred baked her first cake. No, he does. He then goes on to make the point that there are some people alive who even listen to both. Oh, and that. Wow. What you know, as in people who were alive for the queen's coronation and her funeral. What a way to like experience history. And I will say. Should I say this? My daughter was in the room while I was watching this. So I did have a child with me to experience this moment. Um, and she thought I was listening to Despicable Me. She thought that he was grew. <laughs> so um, it didn't land the way that Lawrence O'Donnell and she was like, what are you doing? You're watching Despicable Me. I was like, no, that's <laughs> President Zelensky. No, you, I can't. I can't. It was, <laughs> Don't even try. Don't, don't even try. try. And I think he's not well, doing that character that anymore because... Though. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm glad you. Gave, I'm glad you gave that context because when like Clayton read off that headline, I was like, just two thousand years after Alexander the Great, or just after, you know, like <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so here's Tulsi Gabbard talking about this democracy in Ukraine that we're going out of our way to defend. Watch. You have the Biden administration's whole foreign policy is essentially based on 
democracies and autocracies. We've got to divide the world between these two categories, and the U.S. is going to lead the charge for democracies to defeat the autocracies. And so they have said, hey, Ukraine is a thriving democracy, and Zelensky is this hero that is protecting this democracy, which is why Biden says we'll do everything within our power to support him. And oh, by the way, we're going to send uh, almost uh, 100 billion of American taxpayer dollars to go and support this defense of democracy. But when you actually look at what Zelensky's democracy yeah. is, you see uh, no freedom of the press. He has shut down any media that he does not control, his government does not control. He has gotten political opposition uh, arrested, made sure that that's happened. As you mentioned, he shut down the biggest Ukraine church uh, in the country. And, and I found this quote today. He has actually threatened to punish, quote, any Christian caught worshiping in unapproved ways. Oh, so on. this is the democracy that they are saying, well, we need all of your money, our money, taxpayer dollars to go and defend. This is their shining example of democracy. And so we did have some breaking news just a short time ago. Kevin McCarthy, the uh, the incoming speaker of the House for the Republicans, has said no on this omnibus spending bill, this one point seven trillion dollars. So does that mean then that we will actually have like a wrench thrown into the works against um against getting this money to Ukraine now, like this sort of blowback? I don't know. Let's move on to Yves-Francois Blanchet. Okay, oh, my God. The Bloc Québécois. Yes. He stood up after Zelensky spoke to Parliament March 15th, and he said, quote, the Quebec nation is massively behind you, massively behind your people. Then he called for even more severe economic sanctions. And I just had to laugh when I saw the leader of the separatist Bloc Québécois who struggled with language rights, Bill 101, anybody yeah. remember that? Yeah. yeah. And notwithstanding clause, remember that? How ironic that this man who has fought for the autonomy of Quebec, calls it the Quebec nation, yeah. who's fought for language rights of the minority in Canada, at least, majority yeah. in Canada, Quebec, much like the Donbass, Russia is the major language, and it is being violated, discriminated against the language laws in Ukraine, and their autonomy is not being respected. What a hypocrite. So, yeah, so Blanchette is there to defend and support Quebecers and our language, because as you know, Quebec is a minority in Canada. And so is for the independence of Quebec. He won't speak about that because it's not popular. And he wants uh, Canadians to respect Quebecers. And on the other side, he is supporting a country, Ukraine, that is not so kind with their ethnic Russian uh, living in Ukraine. And that's a minority over there. So I don't know if he uh, knows his history or not. But for a guy that is supporting and promoting minority rights, because Quebec is a minority in Canada, he's not doing that by supporting Ukraine. Like I say, it's totally hypocritical. And again, it, it points to either an ignorance or deceit. So yeah. He must focus his time and energy to do what is good for Quebec. And like he always said in every federal election, he's there to promote and protect Quebec interests. So just do that, and that will be enough. And you don't have to be part of another war that we don't have to be part of. 
people may remember, though I, I bet they all forget, that they block started off as a block within the Conservative Party under Brian Mulroney, and they broke away and started their own party. Yeah. Again, conservatism, I don't know what it is in Canada, but it ain't conservative. Jagmeet <laughs> Singh, um, he said, and to quote, and it was difficult to pick this up because a baby was screaming at the time that he was giving his speech. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, he said, quote, Canadians stand with Ukraine and we'll answer that call to provide as much help as possible in this time. Okay. Now, in true Marxist form, get this. He said, and this was the focus of his little speech, quote, Putin doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about his country, but he does care about his wealth. We need to continue to apply the most severe sanctions possible to target specifically President Putin and his wealth. Right out of a Karl Marx communist manifesto, attack the wealth of the elites. Yeah. True to form, though, but like you said, no Ed Broadbent. Yeah, no, no, that's not Ed Broadbent. They are all together promoting war. And I'm very proud that we are there promoting peacemaking, peacekeeping, and common sense. A truly a Canadian party, the People's Party of Canada, and I can see that uh, if you ever did get the reins of power, or at least got the level of influence that you deserve, and, that, and on that point, speaking of levels of influence, last election, the People's Party got 5% of the vote, okay? Yeah. Translate that out to eligible voters, like those who did not vote, but would support you if they did vote. Guess what number that turns out to be, Maxime? 1.4 million. The same number That's, that they're yeah, the, fawning over for Ukrainian descent in Canada. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of people. And actually, I know that 840,000 people voted for us. And actually, as you know, also the mainstream political parties, all these parties didn't want us to be on the stage and to debate. I was there in 2019. I was not there in 2021. So I didn't have the opportunity to reach more people. And I believe at the next election, they said, because we were a new political party, you need to have 4% of the vote to participate in the national debates on TV. So we had 5%. So I hope they will keep that rule. And I will be on the stage and, and that 5% can become 10%, 15%. I don't know. But we will use all the opportunities to speak about what we believe. And, uh, and this party is growing step by step. And it's, I'm afraid, disgraceful that while you garnered the support of almost one and a half million Canadians, Elizabeth May, she gave the last speech back on March 15th after Zelensky <laughs> spoke. Again, they only got 2% of the vote, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. They have influence. And that is important in politics, as we all know. And I, I, and I debated with myself to actually to mention this, but I think I'm going to, because you did mention something about reason versus emotion. Yeah. And I encourage people to go back and have a look at what Elizabeth May said and how she said it. She addressed Parliament with a quavering voice. She was almost in tears. Oh. It was an embarrassing, emotional, and confusing speech. And on the one hand, it seemed to reject the Worldwide Green Party's organization's assessment that a no-fly zone requested, by the way, by the Ukrainian Green Party yeah. uh, leader, because it threatened to spark a wider war and even a nuclear war. She said that that assessment rings hollow. 
and that we must use all of the tools that we have. So I'm not sure, but I think she was calling for a no-fly zone over Ukraine, even though it might embroil us into a wider or even a nuclear conflict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then she finished off her sob speech. And again, it was embarrassing to watch. It was cringeworthy. On the other hand, she did say that, and I give her credit for this, quote, please leave a pathway for Vladimir Putin to make it to a negotiating table and find oh. a peace. Oh, okay. my God. Yeah. I'll give her that. Yeah, absolutely. Good for her. And at least she had that sentence in her speech. But it's too bad that, you know, the mainstream media and the other party, they're all <laughs> all in with that war. And, and she is also. But she hoped, like a green and a leftist, that, oh, we may be able to have a negotiation. But if you want that, you promote that. No, no, you must promote that. And she's not. I also came across in my research, I think it was the Green Party of Quebec, who okay. said that the terms of Putin's negotiations sounded reasonable. You're right about that. You're absolutely right about that. Because yes, actually, in the beginning of that war, they said that the Green Party in Quebec and the mainstream media in Quebec, the francophone media, said that the Green Party was pro-Putin. And so, you know, they tried to discredit that party. And actually, just after that, I received a call from the Journal de Montréal, and they wanted to know my position on Ukraine because their goal was to discredit me like them and saying that I'm pro-Putin and I'm horrible politician. And I can tell you the question that the journalist was asking me was all in line to try to put me in a position that, you know, I'm 100% pro-Putin and, and Putin is the best and didn't do any mistake and all that. So I answer his questions based on just what I told you. And that was supposed to be printed the day after. So I checked the, the Journal de Montréal the day after, nothing, the other day, nothing. And we called them and we said, you know, it was supposed to be printed. And the journalist said, oh, we decided not to uh, publish the interview. They didn't publish the interview because they didn't have what they wanted. They wanted me to say I'm 100% pro-Putin. And I didn't say that. And I spoke with the historical argument about the missile crisis in Cuba and all that. And the journalist was not able to print what he wanted me to say. So he didn't print that because the other point of view, my point of view was logic based on history. And that was not the position of the Journal de Montréal. So you're right about the Green Party. They had the position about peace and promoting a diplomatic solution for that conflict. I find it interesting that the CRTC in Canada imposes obligations on the press, or at least on radio and television, that a station, not an, particularly a, a show, but a station, must be balanced in their political viewpoint, in which case they are all violating the CRTC regulations and should have their licenses yanked, because every one of them should have you on as the opposing viewpoint to this particular conflict, and none do, and it's quite a disgrace yeah. in my estimation. Yeah. But you are there, Robert, and I'm very <laughs> pleased to have the discussion with you. <laughs>
I, I believe that uh, we won't have that independent corporate media that will present both point of views. I believe this time is past. You have that in the US. You have the CNN, the Democrat, Fox News, Republican. And the problem in Canada is we don't have a Fox News or a Republican corporate media. It's all, you know, leftist. And I believe that you must stop to give subsidies to the media for sure. They must be independent. And now they are not. And if that happens, they will have to change. And maybe in a day, you'll see a new media, a new TV station that will be like Fox News in Canada. We need to have that. I don't believe that we can have the CBC or CTV or these other corporate media to do what they're supposed to do that I hope it can be the same in Canada, but our problem right now, it is not. But at least we have you, we have real independent media like True North and uh, all these other, and they're growing. So that's good. Uh, by the way, I wouldn't want anybody out there to think that I believe in a fairness doctrine, which is what they had in the United States, which coerced private media to have a balanced viewpoint. I don't believe in that. I'm just saying that um, if you want to play by their rules, they made the rules, yeah. CFTC, they should be subject to them. But they're Absolutely. not. Absolutely. But then Absolutely. again, we live in a clown world. Don't we, Maxime? Yeah. I, listen, I do appreciate your time, and I wish it, that you um, are able to get this position out there more forcefully with more um, independent press, and more independent media. And I wish you all the best. Thank you again, Maxime. But thank you, Robert. If your viewers want to uh, read the speech, they can go on the People's Party of Canada website, peoplespartyofcanada.ca, and they will be able to find that. It's on uh, YouTube, Rumble, and so they can read it also. But I appreciate uh, the time that we had together to be able to speak about it. And I hope that we'll be able to have another discussion on another subject next time. A more pleasant subject, I hope, rather than more. <laughs> but uh, yes, Maxime, thank you very much again. Thank you. What a great observation Maxime made in noting that leftists always hope, but they do not promote their hopes. You know, I've run into that phenomenon many times, but never really isolated it as a symptom or characteristic of the left. In fact, what the left promotes is generally the opposite of such expressed hopes, presumably expressed to disarm their opposition, those of us on the right. So clearly, the proper response is to not just hope, but to also promote the road to peace, which can only be achieved by being just right and steadfastly staying on that path. And though our journey in the right direction has now concluded for the year 2022, be sure to join us again next year when we will begin our 2023 journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. See you then. Into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright I'm a little bit older now So I'm starting to, uh, you know uh, Maybe think about another Something to do, another challenge in my life And uh, I've I don't know, maybe I'm crazy But I'd like to become Canada's very first Aboriginal Prime Minister What do you think about that, huh? <laughs> Vote for me! Free Slurpees for everybody! Come on, let's go! Can you imagine if I ran for Prime Minister and actually won? All the weird telephone calls I get the very first day in office. Hi there, Prime Minister Big Bear speaking, how you doing?
Huh? What? Thousands of buffalo charging up the Trans-Canada Highway? Cool. Yeah, I know, I put them there. No, don't shoot them. They were here first. Read a book or something. We would never... Hi there, Prime Minister Big Bear speaking. Hmm? Oh, Jean Chrétien! You enjoying your retirement? Huh? You don't like it on the reserve. No, 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 you have to stay there. Any advice for you? Yeah, don't drink the water. Bye-bye now. 